Oh, it's a good passage. Exodus 33. Lord, help us. The title of my sermon is Desperate for the Lord's Presence. The big idea, without the presence of the Lord, hey brother, there is no hope. Without the presence of the Lord, there is no hope. We could say it a different way, the Lord's presence is everything. It is everything. I find that as my kids get older, and I mention them in a sermon, they get more and more embarrassed. And so I'll talk about Samantha Jane, my daughter. She's not here right now. She's in the nursery. But I'll tell you about Sam's favorite things. She loves boo-boo corns. Now, boo-boo corn is a unicorn. I'm not sure why she calls them boo-boo corns. I don't know the history. I don't know where that came from. But she loves unicorns, which she calls boo-boo corns. She loves animals. You know, anytime we're out and she sees a dog, she will go for a hug. And I'm like, high alert. Is this a nice dog? You know, is it going to make a move? If it does, I got to move quickly. But she just loves animals. She loves all of our animals at our place. And she loves hugging them. <laughs> it's so cute. She loves candy, which, I mean, what kid doesn't like candy? These are a few of her favorite things. Name that movie. Or, or not, that's fine. Um, <clears throat> but <clears throat> all of these things pale in light of her favorite thing. Now maybe you're thinking, it's her daddy. It's not. I wish it was. It's mommy. That little girl loves Haley. Now, Sam loves me. There's no doubt about that. When I go to work in the morning, if she's up, there's tears. She's sad. Daddy, don't leave. If Haley leaves the house... It is a monsoon of tears. (laughs) She longs to be with mommy, and I love that. She does. The question I want to ask is, do you feel that way about the Lord's presence? Do you treasure it? Do you long for it? Do you love it? Do you prioritize it? Is it your greatest joy, the Lord's presence? If you read Exodus 33, and thankfully we had the whole chapter read for us this morning, Exodus 33 is all about the sweetness, the sweetness of the Lord's presence. What do we learn? There's four points. I have four things that I see in our passage. And they all start, for the most part, with the puh sound. I love alliteration. It's memorable. So point number one is the punishment, the removal of God's presence. If you were listening carefully, you notice that things start off rather well. You're like, okay, here we go. Like, God is saying, all right, we're going to go. It's time to move towards the promised land. And by way of reminder, he describes the land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I love both of those things. There's excitement. There's joy. There's expectation. Again, the Lord is calling his people to move, to head out toward the promised land that he promised to give them. This was promised. This was expected. Where things take a turn is in verse 3, where the Lord declares, I'm sure you heard it, but I will not go up among you. Wait, 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 wait. You're not going to be there? But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. We talked about that last week, that language, stiff-necked, from the Hebrew. It literally means prideful arrogant, unteachable. Again, think if you have your your neck in a brace, you're limited, you can't bow down, you're unwilling to submit. Who are they unwilling to submit to? 
the Lord. They're stiff-necked. Now for Israel, as you'll see in verse 4, this was devastating news. They bemoan this news. It reminds me of that scene in The Hobbit. I read this to my boys last year. It's when they're about to enter Mirkwood, and Gandalf says, I have other business to attend to. I'm not going with you. And Bilbo and the dwarfs are devastated. Wait, wait, wait. You're You're not going with us. Nope, I have other business to attend to. Their hearts sink at the thought of the great wizard no longer going with them. Just as their journey grows most perilous. If you've read the story, you know what I'm talking about. Now for Israel, this is the punishment for their idolatry. What just happened? Moses is meeting with God atop of the mountain. And what is Israel doing during his hiatus? They fashion a golden calf and they worship it. What do they deserve? What do they get? We saw it last week. What do they get? Punishment. But this is the punishment. This is it. It's the removal of the Lord's presence. Now, some might think, if you, if you were listening, yes, but the Lord still promised to send an angel to go before Israel and to drive out their enemies and to take them to the promised land. So is it really that bad? Yes, who's not going to be there with them? Who's going to remove their presence? The Lord. The Lord's presence is everything. How do they respond, Israel? It says they mourn. The Hebrew, they lament. Were you surprised by their response? I was. (laughs) In the previous chapter, last week, we, we saw how quickly Israel was to replace God with a golden statue. The God who had appeared to them multiple times, who had fought for them multiple times, who had provided for them multiple times, and how quickly they were to replace him with a golden statue. And yet, when the removal of God's presence is threatened, there's a great panic. Now why? Why does God threaten to remove his presence? What was meant to be, listen, this is so important, what was meant to be the greatest of blessings, the Lord's presence, would now be the greatest danger. Why? Why? Because of Israel's sinfulness. What did we learn last week, if you were here? The Lord does what to sin? He punishes sin. He punishes sin. He has to because he's holy, he's just. Last week we saw that Israel had just experienced God's wrath, his punishment, in a rather awesome way. 23,000 Israelites were killed in a single day by the sword and by the plague of disease because of their rebellion. Our holy God responds to an unholy people with his wrath. God's ongoing presence meant ongoing wrath for ongoing rebellion and sin amongst God's people. What was meant to be the best news would now be terrible news, right? This is seen most clearly in verse 5. Listen. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. We just heard that. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. 
I would destroy you because of their what? Their stiff necked. They're rebellious. They're unwilling to submit to the Lord. As David Murray notes, he would be with them, the Lord, he would be with them indirectly through his angel. We saw that. But, but not in such a special, direct, invisible way. This is what sin does. This is what sin does. It causes us to miss the Lord's presence. And the Lord's presence is everything. It's everything. It's everything. It's everything. Without it, there is no true joy. Without it, there is no true peace. Without it, there is no true life. Without the presence of the Lord, there is no hope. How does Israel respond to the Lord's punishment? Listen to verses 4 to 6 again. When the people heard this, I love this, this disastrous word, for that is what it was. This spelled disaster for God's people. When they heard this disastrous word, they mourned. They, they lamented. And no one put on his ornaments. His, what is that? His ornaments? Are these Christmas trees? Maybe that was strange. I'll unpack that in a minute. Why did they not put on their ornaments? Keep reading. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Ooh. Oh, man. (laughs) Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. So they obeyed. God said, take them off, and they took them off. They mourned at this disastrous word. They mourned, they lamented, and they stripped off their ornaments. What does that mean? Is their jewelry. Their jewelry. This was a sign of repentance and remorse over sin. If you're taking notes, look at Genesis 35, verse 4. We see the same response to sin, this removal of jewelry. And then Exodus 26, 16. Israel appears genuinely sorry for their sin, which is a good thing. Now here's the irony, and it's thick. Did you catch it? The last time Israel took off their jewelry, what happened? What did they use it for? The fashioning of a golden calf. Now, now it's to be a sign of mourning and remorse over that very same sin. Now, why do that? Because it represented, listen, by removing the jewelry that was previously used to fashion an idol, this act represented a separation, separating themselves from the very things that had previously become an occasion for sin. Does that make sense? Here's the application here. I think it's clear. Separate yourselves from sin. Separate yourselves from sin. Get rid of it. Cast it away. Do you guys know the meaning of the word church? It's a Greek word, ekklesia. It's two words, actually. The word ek is a preposition. It means from or out of. And then kaleo, it's a Hebrew or Hebrew. It's a Greek verb, and it means to call out. So the church, we are literally the called out ones, the separate ones. Oh, Do you get it? Separate from what? Called out from what? 
What should we be separate from, church? Sin. Death. The idea of separation is at the heart of what it means to be God's people. Now, one more interesting observation. Maybe you caught it. Think about the gold jewelry. Early on in our story, now before this happened, do you remember what God said they were going to do when they left Egypt? What's going to happen? God's going to give them favor with the Egyptians, and they're going to what? They're going to leave with a bunch of good stuff, right? And what was that good stuff, the gold, what was it used for initially? The construction of the tabernacle, right? They take all these things, they they pillage and they plunder the Egyptians, God gives them favor before they depart, and then they bring those things to Moses. Why? For what purpose? For the construction of the tabernacle and all the different furniture. Isn't that interesting? In Exodus 32, these same items used previously for worship are now used for idolatry. What in the world? Here's the question I want us to think about this morning. Are you using your life in the gifts God has given you for God's glory and praise or for your own selfish and sinful purposes? I hope it's for the former. Number two, the powwow. What's a powwow? Who's had a powwow recently? If you look up the word powwow, all it means, it's a meeting between friends. That's all it is. The powwow, number two, the beauty of God's presence. I love this section in Exodus 33. We're given a window into Moses' unique relationship with the Lord. How is that relationship described? Friends. Friends. Now, this is narratival. It's a narrative. It's story. It seems like if you're reading Exodus 33, you get to verse 7, at first glance, it appears to be an interruption in our story. It almost doesn't fit. Why this detailed description of Moses' worshiping habits? Why are we given this? This sweet picture, this sweet picture of fellowship between God, the Lord, and Moses. This idea of God speaking to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend was meant to reveal the beauty of God's presence so that, what? What would we see? So that we would see what Israel was forfeiting because of their sin. To give this up! How foolish! How tragic! What Moses enjoyed with the Lord was meant to be for all of Israel. Amen? I mean, think about the tabernacle. What's the point? This was to be at the heart of their camp. What did it represent? God present, revealing himself, being with, speaking to his people. And they were willing to give this up because of their sin. They were willing to miss out on this because of their sin. Now we know if you... I had a professor in seminary. This professor was able to trace this theme from Genesis to Revelation. This professor said, this is the theme that binds the whole story of God's Word together. It's the theme of God rescuing a people for relationship. God desires fellowship with His people. Amen? Isn't that a blessing? That God would desire fellowship with us? Where do we see that? Well, we see it first in the Garden of Eden. Of course, God makes Adam and Eve, and He walks with them in the garden. He's with them. He's present with them relationally. 
We see it clearly in the Exodus. Haven't we seen it? We saw it with the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. God is not aloof. He is with His people. We see it with the tabernacle especially. And we see it here in this tent of meeting. This is separate from the tabernacle. This was a tent outside of the camp where God would meet with Moses. This was God's will and desire for His people. Namely, for them to know Him personally and relationally. And yet, this is what their sin would cause them to miss. The whole point of this section, Exodus 33, 7-11, is to show us how sweet the Lord's presence really is. Can you relate to that? Do you know how sweet it is? Do you long for His presence? Do you think about it? Do you give thanks for it? Again, the Lord's presence, we we see what it's like in verses 7 to 11. It involved God appearing, God speaking, and God's people worshiping in response. Let's read verses 9 to 11. Again, God's presence involved God speaking, God appearing, and then God's people worshiping in response to God appearing and God speaking. It sounds like a Sunday morning. Amen? (laughs) When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And that represents the Lord's presence, right? His glorious presence. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Let me talk about the tabernacle quickly. If you recall, the tabernacle was designed around the presence of who? presence of the Lord. It was designed to highlight God's glorious presence at the heart, at the center of Israel's life, at the center of their worship. We see this with the Ark of the Covenant, which was a golden chest which represented God's throne, His throne, His royal dwelling place with His people in the most holy place at the center of the tabernacle. Again, God's presence meant life. It meant rest. It meant joy. Without it, there is, there can be no hope. It's true. Without His presence, there was and there is no hope. And yet, because of their sin, Israel deserved to miss out on God's presence. And so do we. Do we deserve God's presence? Of course not. Here's the practice step. Here's the application. Praise God. Oh, praise God for His presence provided through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you know the Lord, if you know Christ as your Savior, you know the presence of God. The good news of the Gospel is what? We get God. The good news of the Gospel is that we get God. We get God. We get His presence. The Lord is with His people. Everyone rejoice. He's with us. Number three, the plea. The plea. The cry for God's presence. In verse 12, 
we find that we are privy to one of Moses' conversations with the Lord in the tent of meeting outside of the camp. This is cool, right? We get access to this conversation. And what do we find Moses doing? What did we learn about Moses last week? He's a man of prayer, right? He's praying. And not just praying, but he is interceding once again for Israel. He pleads with the Lord to not remove his presence, but to instead go with them, to be with them. Moses, and this is good. Oh, if you, were, if, if you studied Exodus 33, Moses, he doesn't just make an appeal and then peace out. He bases his appeal on multiple things. And this is really good. This is really good. Moses bases his appeal for God's presence to remain with his people on four things. Number one, first, he appeals to their friendship. He says, Lord, please hear my cry for your presence. We are friends. We're friends, right? Number two, second, he appeals, and this is so helpful, he appeals to God's favor and grace in the past. He's saying, Lord, in the past, you've been gracious, you've been kind, you've shown me favor, please do it again. You've done it before, please do it again. It's your character, please do it. Third, he points out that Israel is God's people. Not only Moses, but Israel as a nation had enjoyed a relationship with the Lord. And then finally, number four, oh, he appeals to God's reputation. It was God's special presence with His special people that made Israel distinct from the rest of the world. It revealed the Lord's commitment to His people, His faithfulness to His people, and His love for His people. What enabled Moses to have an audience with the Lord? What enabled Moses to have this conversation with the Lord? Moses has the Lord's ear because he has the Lord. He has a relationship with God. He prays from or out of that relationship. What allows us to pray, friends? If you're a Christian, I hope you do pray. We pray out of a relationship with the Lord. Because if you have the Son, you have the Father's ear. Amen? If you belong to the Son, whose ear do you have? you got the Father's ear. When your children, listen, when your children make requests of you parents, I'm speaking to parents, they typically, I hope, come with confidence and joy. Why? I guess unless they're just asking for things they know they shouldn't be asking for. But if they're asking for things that are good, right, and they ask you, mom and dad, I hope they should come with confidence and joy. Why? Because they know that you love them, you're their parents. They know that you care for them. They know that you want what's best for them. Right? Your mom and dad. Your mom and dad. They don't approach a stranger that way. They approach mom and dad that way. They know they can come to you on the basis of that sweet and intimate relationship. And it's the same with the Lord. Amen? It's the same with the Lord. And then we have Moses' staggering words in verse 15. And he said to him, and this is I would say this is the key verse in chapter 33. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. What? Forfeit the promised land? The milk and the honey? 
the defeat of God's enemies, the enemies of His people, Moses says, listen, Lord, if you're not going to go with us, if you're not going to be with us, leave us here. Leave us here. Because here you are with us. (laughs) What did he highlight? What did he prioritize, Moses? What did he value most? What did he see as most significant, most important? Whose presence? The Lord's. God's presence. Now these words, verse 15, I don't know if you've ever heard them before, but these words are absolutely staggering. These words are incredible. Moses is essentially saying, Lord, if you won't go with us, leave us where we are. There's no point because we have no hope without your presence. Your presence is everything. As one brother writes, Moses would rather stay in the wilderness with God than enter the promised land without God. That's how precious God's presence was to Moses. I wonder if you feel the same way about the Lord's presence. Do you relate to this? You know, this is often evidenced by one's answer to the question. And it's a, it's a hypothetical. It's actually a silly question, but I think your response will reveal a lot. Would you still want to go to heaven if Christ wasn't there? And I can say quickly, unabashedly, no. No. Because the Lord is what makes heaven heaven. Amen? Are you able to say, are we able to say with the psalmist in Psalm 42, 1-2, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Oh, what is it about the Lord's presence? Why is Moses so obsessed with the Lord's presence? Why is he willing to forgo the promised land to be with the Lord? What is it about the Lord's presence? The Lord's presence meant rest. Everybody say rest. Rest. Verse 14. Did you catch it in verse 14? And he said, My presence, listen, my presence will go with you and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. What did the Lord's presence mean for God's people? If my presence goes with you, it means what? Rest. Now the Hebrew literally reads, my face will go with you. What? Your face? What does God mean by that? This referred to the beautiful closeness of God's presence. His face. I'll be right there with you. (laughs) As we talked about last week, and actually two weeks ago, true rest is not found in a day. True rest is found in a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? What does Jesus say in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30? Come to me and I'll give you what? I'll give you rest. Spiritual rest. But Moses is sharp. He notices something, and we see it in verse 14. You're thinking at this point, all's good. I mean, Moses requests, he pleads, he intercedes, Go with us, and God says, I'll go with you. Did you catch it? (laughs) I'll go with you. What's missing? The plural. How do we say it in Texas? Y'all. Didn't get a y'all. It was you singular. Moses noticed something in verse 14, and it was the use of the singular. Moses had assurance that God's presence would be with him, but he also desired that for who? For all of God's people. Isn't that selfless? 
I love that. It's easy to miss. What a selfless request. Moses desires that not just for him, but for all of God's people. And not only, and this is good, this is, this is the meat. It's all meat, but I mean, this is like, here we go. We've had the appetizer, we get salad, let's get into the steak dinner. Let's talk about, yes, Graham, you know. Let's talk about God's glory. Not only does Moses plead for God's presence, but more specifically for his glory. Now, one could argue that this was Moses' request for God to confirm his promise to remain with his people. Show me your glory so that I'll know that you're really going to go with us. Now, had the Lord already revealed his glory to Moses and God's people? Yes, multiple times. Think of the burning bush in Exodus 3. Think of the series of plagues. Think of the parting of the Red Sea. Think of Mount Sinai in the fire, in the thunder, in the lightning. God revealing himself from the mountaintop. People are trembling down below. God had revealed his glory to Moses and God's people. But Moses wanted to know. Moses wanted to know that God would continue to reveal himself in such glorious ways before him and Israel moving forward. Verses 18 and 19, Moses said, Please, please, listen to the desperation in this cry. Please, show me your glory. Oh! And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And this is the surprising part, and I wonder if you caught it. What's the request? What does Moses ask for? Show me your glory. What does God say? I'll make all my goodness pass before you. But then he doesn't stop there. What does he say next? And will proclaim. And will proclaim before you my name. The Lord. The covenant name of God. The the name that brought to remembrance all of God's promises to save and rescue His people. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Let's, Let's park here for a minute. Can we park here please? What does this amount to? Please catch this. How does the Lord answer Moses' request? It's interesting and maybe even unexpected. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Now let's stop there for a bit. To begin, the Lord equates his glory to his goodness, his perfect character. But then, everybody say then. Then, did you catch it? Oh, he ties his character to the proclamation of his name. Okay, now follow me here. His glory is to be revealed through preaching. His glory is to be revealed through preaching. Namely, the preaching of God's name. And what does that name mean? Not only is God good, but he's gracious and he's merciful. Now, in the ancient world, we've talked about this. We've talked about it in Exodus. In the ancient world, the name stood for the person. It spoke to the nature and character of the person. In some, God would reveal his glory through a sermon. Through a sermon. The preaching of his name, which meant the preaching of his character, his goodness, his mercy, and his grace. 
This is the message, the sermon that Moses and God's people needed to be reminded of, especially in light of recent events. How does the Lord respond to our sin, friends, if you're a believer? Does He crush us? Does He cast us off? If you're a follower of Christ, you know that's not true. How does the Lord respond to our sin? With mercy and grace because He is good. And all God's people said, Amen. When the character of God is exposited in the Word of God, the people of God behold the glory of God. Amen? Let me say that again. When the character of God is exposited, preached in the Word of God, the people of God behold the glory of God. Is true? Now the only catch, the only catch was that Moses would not be privy to the full, unadulterated expression of God's glory. Because to do so would mean what? Certain what? Death. So the Lord provides. He would place Moses, and we'll talk about this more next week, but he would place Moses in the cleft of a rock and allow him to see his back. But not his face. Not his face. Again, this represented the full exposure to the full presence of the Lord. This could not happen. Why? Let me step back. Are we meant to see a difference between Moses and Israel? Yes. Obviously. Okay, think about it this way. In the previous chapter, where's Moses? He's on top of the mountain, speaking to God, receiving the Lord's instruction. What's Israel doing? Much knuckleheads. What are they doing? They're not trusting the Lord. They're not saying, wait, 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 this is not a good idea. No one speaks up. They reject the Lord for a golden calf. They commit idolatry. They break commandment number one and commandment number two in one fell swoop. So are we meant to see a difference between Moses and Israel? Yeah, of course. But even though we're meant to see a difference between Moses and Israel, Moses still shares something very important with Israel. What's that? What do they have in common, Moses and Israel? Moses, too, is a what? He's a sinner. What are we? We're sinners. This was to protect Moses, not allowing him to experience and see that full, unadulterated conveyance of God's glorious presence. As Philip Ryken notes, Moses was protected from God by God. (laughs) Moses was protected from God by God. Moses, like Israel, and like all of us, needs a Savior. One to bridge the gap between a holy God and an unholy, sinful people. Here's the practice step. Here's the application. Point number three. Pray for, and I love Moses' heart here. God, you're saying you're going you're gonna to go with me, but please go with your people. Go with all, be with all of us. Pray for and pursue what is best for God's church. Amen? Be concerned not only with your own personal growth, but with the growth of every single believer in Christ in the church. Pray for other believers and commit to discipling other believers. As Moses desired for Israel to know and experience the blessing of God's ongoing presence, church, we too must be committed 
to seeing our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ experiencing and enjoying the blessings of God's presence? How are you investing in the spiritual health, the spiritual well-being of fellow believers in the church? Furthermore, I'd say application point number two under number three, behold the glory of God where? Where do we see it? We can go there whenever we want. Where do we see it? Behold the glory of God in the Word of God. We find and behold God's glory in His glorious Word, where His nature and His character are revealed through His wonderful acts of love. All right, point number four. Last point. The Lord's compassion. Compassion, that was the P sound, so not a perfect alliteration, but I tried. The Lord's compassion, the gracious restoration of God's presence. The Lord shows favor upon favor and grace upon grace to Moses and Israel. He promises to go with them and be with them and confirms it by the revelation of His glory. Verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. The revelation of His glory means what? That there's more glory to come. What did Israel deserve, friends? What did they deserve? To be wiped out. They had rejected the Creator for creation. They had rejected the Savior for what? A lifeless substance. And yet, once again, through intervention and intercession, the Lord shows His people mercy and grace. If you wish, and I hope this is all of us, if you wish to know and enjoy the presence of the Lord, then you must repent. You must repent. If you wish to see the Lord face to face, you must come to Jesus in faith. Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you turned from your sin? One of my favorite verses in Scripture is 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. This is a promise for God's people. John says, Beloved, he's talking to the church, he's talking to believers. Beloved, we are God's children now. Amen, right? I mean, that's adoption language. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Oh, John, where are you going, bro? Where are you going? But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We shall what? We shall see him. All of him. All of him. Let me ask this question. How does our passage point to Jesus in the gospel? Whenever you're studying God's word, always ask this question of a passage. In Exodus 32, last week, in Exodus 33, we see the inter, this is really interesting, the intermingling of justice and mercy. Friends, listen, how can God show justice and mercy simultaneously? Does that make sense to you? How? If you said, Chris, what's one book that you would recommend I read this year? Oh, there's so many. A.W. Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy. This book really impacted me. I, I probably read it 10 years ago for the first time. Here's, here's his point at the beginning of the book. When we think of God's attributes or his character, we might think, okay, so we know that God is loving and merciful, just, wrathful, kind, faithful. So that must mean, right, he's, he's partially just and he's partially loving and 
partially merciful and partially kind, and then when you add those things up, you get 100%. Right? That's kind of how we think as humans. That's not what God's Word teaches at all. At all. God is not partially just and partially merciful. No, He is all just. Amen? And He is all merciful. And He is all loving. And He is all good. We cannot separate the attributes of God in Christ. He is all these things at the same time, perfectly and fully. Amen? And this readies us for what? Knowing this, that God is all just and all merciful readies us for what? What event? The cross. Because at the cross, we see this beautiful intersection of God's justice and mercy. At the cross, he's just. He punishes sin, but he does it in his son. Amen? Do you realize that? God is a just judge. He has to deal with sin, and he does. At the cross, he punishes it, but he does it in his son. And at the cross, he shows us mercy. He pardons those who trust in his son. Amen? At the cross, we have this perfect intermingling of justice and mercy. He punishes sin. He pardons sinners through the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. And not only that, but the cross is the monumental moment in history of the magnificent display of God's glory. Do you recall what we learned in our passage? God reveals his glory through the preaching of his name, and his name means he's good, his name means he's merciful, and his name means he's grace-ish. What do we see at the cross? He's good, he's merciful, and he's full of grace. At the cross, we see his glory. We behold it, and we say, wow. Amen? We say, wow. And finally, it's through the cross in our faith in Jesus. It's through what Christ has done, and by God's grace, our faith in what Christ has done, that sinners like you and me are reconciled to God and get to forever enjoy his presence. How does our story end? Not Exodus 33, but the whole story of redemption. How does the Bible's story end? Let me remind you by pointing us to one verse, verse 3 of Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. Oh! I woke you up. What does Moses long for? He's willing to give up the promised land for it, the presence of God. Amen? What does the word promise those who trust in Jesus? What are we going to have forever? The presence of God. Did you listen to verse 3? He will dwell with them. Not apart from, we can kind of make him out like, I, I think I know, with, with. And they'll be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Man, if that doesn't get you excited and thankful, we were made to enjoy God's glorious presence. In fact, listen, I can, I can promise you something. Every human, every image bearer, past, present, and future, desires God's glorious presence whether they know it or not. 
The problem is that we look, because of sin, we look for joy, we look for peace, we look for rest, and we look for hope that can only be found in Christ in a whole host of other places. But where are we? The only place we're going to find hope and joy and peace and rest is where? It's in Christ. So come to Christ, trust in Him, and enjoy the forever presence of God. Amen? Turn from your sin, trust in Christ and what He did. He lived a perfect life, He died. He died in our place. He took the punishment that we deserve. If that good news ever becomes old news, oh, may the Lord show you grace. And then he rose again, proving all his claims to be true. The cross worked. Amen? Listen, turn from your sin, trust in Jesus, and you have the promise of God's forever presence. Only in Jesus. Amen? Only in Jesus. Hey, listen, let's rejoice in that good news. Let's go share it with others. Can we do that? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this good news that because of Christ and in Christ and through Christ, we get to enjoy, God, your presence forever. We don't deserve your presence. In fact, we have been born outside of the garden. We have been born alienated from you because of our sin. But Jesus, you did something, the only thing that can make us right with the Holy God through your perfect life, your sacrificial death, and your glorious resurrection. I pray that all of us in this room would trust in Jesus and that all of us would be committed to the great commission of making disciples through telling this good news to others and calling others to leave their sin and trust in King Jesus. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.